Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. Tonight we are going to be looking at the second commandment. The second commandment. When I look at these commandments and I try to prepare a message, I'm well aware that the law is not, we're not under the law. And, uh, you know, this is Old Testament truth. It is foundational, of course, for the New Testament. And God is not any different than He was then, right? He's the same God. His law is the same law. But, um, but I also try to be mindful that, uh, that we are New Testament Christians. And uh, so uh, I try to relate that. And I hope to relate this second commandment to the New Testament, uh, some tonight as well, all of the commandments as a matter of fact. So let's look at Exodus 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor in, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Uh, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. In this, I want you to note in verse number 4 and verse number 5, notice it says, Thou shalt not make. You see that? See the word make? And then in verse number 5, it says, Thou shalt not bow and serve. Note that. Make, bow, serve. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to pray together. Thank you for the opportunity to sing songs, uh, to praise you together. Thank you for that. Thank you for those that are here and those that are listening in and, th and for those that would be here, except they have been hindered and their body is just not cooperating. Lord, please give grace to them and Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, help me to be a, a man of prayer and uh, to really serve you in sincerity and truth and genuineness. And uh, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us, Lord, even as we're praying for this, our church in this year with the theme we have of edify and multiply. Lord, we ask you that you would help our church to grow and be strengthened spiritually, each one of us. And we also ask you that you would multiply us as well. Lord, as we look at this second commandment, Lord, this is your word. So, Lord, we pray that you would make it profitable and effectual in our lives as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at Isaiah. We've already we've looked at Exodus 20. We've noted some things there. So let's just fly to Isaiah chapter 44 real quick. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but we won't stay in any one place very long. Isaiah 44. We'll look at at this chapter real quick. Isaiah 44, I'm turning to another passage I want to read in just a minute, uh, which is going to take me just a second to get there. Isaiah 44 and verse number 9. The Bible says this, They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they uh, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. In other words, the people, this is the workman that makes the graven image, which is what we're talking about tonight, which is idolatry. 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Um, they see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed. And the workmen, they are of men. You know, in Cambodia, when you go down the road, there's certain sections, uh, especially the certain roads that are known for being like uh, being areas where they make. I mean, these men are very skilled to be able to take a block of stone or a or a trunk of a tree and make uh, make images out of it, make statues to be venerated. And the Lord says they're blind. The Lord says they can't see. And it says, uh, skip down a little bit to uh, verse number 14. He heweth down cedars, this is talking about the workmen now, and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn... For he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. So here's three things he's doing with the wood. He's burning it for warmth. He's using it to cook with. And he's then taking the rest of it and making a god out of it. All right, look at verse number 13. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule, he marketh it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, he marketh it out with the compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. So this guy, if a guy comes in, and he, he's made himself an idol, a god, and he brings it into the house, and he's not very skilled, his wife says, get that thing out of here. So he makes it pretty. So it may remain in the house. That's, that's what it's saying. It's funny that you're supposed to laugh. The Lord is making a, a joke, sort of. A joke at their expense, I guess. And then it says, if you would look down at verse number 17, the Bible says, The residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my god. Look at 18. They have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes. You see that? Why do they not make the connection that with part of it they're warming themselves, with part of it they're eating bread, and with part of it they're worshiping? Why do they not see that inconsistency? Because their eyes are blind. And their hearts that they cannot understand, and none considereth in his heart, neither is there any... Is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof, I have roasted flesh and eaten it, and shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? I'm going to read you something to kind of go along with that in Psalm 135. It says this, you know, this is the passage that talks about how that the idols have eyes, but they see not. They have mouths, but, hear, but, but speak not. They have ears, but hear not. And then the, the Bible follows to say, they that make them are like unto them. They have eyes, but see not. They have ears, 
but hear not. You could say they have a heart, but it's like a stone. In other words, they do this, but they do not, they do not get, their eyes do not perceive what they're doing. And this all goes back, really, the first commandment in the Ten Commandments and the second commandment are tied together. The way that you can identify the true and the living God, the one true God, is by, by one thing in particular we looked at last week, which is what? His position as the, as the creator. And yet, and that's what we also see here. People are taking that which God created and with it making a God. And they, 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 don't, they don't see what they're doing. They don't see what they're doing. Now, I, I want to, before we move on, because you, you see this, this idea of making a God, which is what we're reading in Isaiah 48, how the, the inconsistency and the blindness of the man who makes these things to worship them, the man who takes them and buys them to worship them, not being able to see that he's, he's actually just worshiping a rock. He's actually just worshiping a piece of metal or a, or a the trunk of a tree. It's really nothing more than that, right? Now, we know there's more to it than that. But that's, the, that, that is, that's what you might call spiritual logic. But to the blinded mind, it's, it's imperceptible. But you know what we have in our day? We have Christian idolatry. What I mean by that? I mean we have, we have religions and practices that are called by the name of Christianity that actively practice idolatry. Now, you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm talking about the real thing. You see pictures of Jesus and you see icons. In, in the Eastern, Eastern Orthodox Church, you have icons, which are images, drawn, drawn images. They put on windows and different things. They're called icons. That's called iconography. But then in, in the Catholic Church, you have actual statues that have been made. And some of them are very old and made of very expensive materials. And they picture and represent the saints, or perhaps Mary, or perhaps Jesus. And this is all in Christianity. And the, the question might be asked, how in the world can a Christian religion that venerates the Bible and considers it to be the Word of God still practice actual worship of idols? How can that be? Well, here's how it's done. Well, they say, well... There's a difference between veneration and worship. This is what they say, okay? There's a dis difference between veneration and worship. So we're not, we're not worshiping an idol. We're not worshiping the statue of Mary. We're venerating the statue of Mary. We only worship God. All right? That's what they say. And they also say, for those statues and for those images and for those idols, we're not worshiping the, the, the statue itself, but, we're, we're, but, but it's just being used as an aid to worship. So here's, here's the issues, though. And this is why I wanted you to note that in Exodus 20. To say you're venerating an, an idol that you're bowing down to is to make a distinction without a difference. The reality is there's not real any substantial difference between veneration and worship. It's basically the same thing. All right. It's just a way by, by splitting hairs over the terminology. It's a way to get, get around the commandment. But you're, as you're going to see, uh, in Exodus 20, the Bible doesn't say worship. What are the three things that are forbidden? 
Anybody remember? We just read it. What are they? Thou shalt not make. Thou shalt not bow. Thou shalt not. Well, the, the, the word worship's nowhere in there. You see that? The Lord said, don't make it. Forget worship, venerate. That doesn't matter. That little distinction doesn't matter. The Lord says, don't make. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water and the earth. So it be it human, be it whatever. See, the error, the error is not just in the worship part. That's just splitting hairs. The error is in the making. <laughs> Once it's made, men worship and they excuse it away. Furthermore, Exodus 20, we just read, also forbids the bowing to it, right? To an idol. And anybody who has ever had any experience in, in, uh, in that kind of Christian, I use that loosely, Christian idolatry has seen people bow to idols that are supposed to be of saints. You see, religions commonly make images not of God, but of non-God characters, such as Mary and saints. And then they bow and worship them, although they say it's not worship, but it is, in the same way that they bow and worship an image that is supposed to represent God Himself, like a crucifix. Be careful. Listen, we believe in the second commandment, right? We have no business messing around with the crucifix that is supposed to represent Jesus on a cross. We do not make images of God, right? That's, that, that's exactly what these religions do. They make large crucifixes, which is forbidden in Scripture to make them, and then bow to them. That is, the, the Lord strictly forbids this. So, but in our day, in our society, we don't see a lot of that around here. We just don't. But we do see these little idols everywhere that people like to wear around their neck. But that's, the, the Lord said, that is, that is not permitted. That is expre expressly forbidden on the Exodus chapter 20. Now, in, in Deuteronomy chap chapter 4, if you look at that real quick, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 11, listen to this. Now we know, you know, people say, well, if for, for an idol, this is not, it, it's, we're not worshiping the idol. This is what they say now. And even in, even in Cambodia, they say that. Well, we're not worshiping the actual statue. We're worshiping what the statue represents. And we know in the Bible, there are, there is symbolism used. We, we, when we had the Lord's Supper, that we use symbolism, right? We use symbolism. The bread and the juice represent something else. They are not that thing, but they represent that. But here's the other thing. Here's the thing. We're not worshiping the bread and the juice, right? We're not bowing to it. And that's just not what's happening. So it's not the same. And, we're, and those symbols are not symbols of God himself. They're symbols of an aspect of our faith. And so this kind of symbolism is permitted, but the kind where you make a statue of a God or something else that's receiving veneration or worship, the Lord forbids. Deuteronomy 4, verse 11 says this, And you came near, this is, this is Moses now, this is right before they go into the promised land. Moses is about to die. And Moses is recounting the law, the, the events on Mount Sinai. He says, And you came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the, 
uh, unto the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, and ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. See that? Note that, please. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded to you, you to perform, even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that ye might do them in the land, whither ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude in that day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Notice it says nothing of worship. It says make. All right. The likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. And lest thou lift up thine eyes unto, unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. You see that? Very plainly spoken. Very plainly spoken. Notice, the children, when they were on, when they heard God give the Ten Commandments, they did not see any shape or form of God with which they could use as a pattern to make some sort of idol to worship. God did that on purpose. But what happened? They heard a voice. They didn't see anything, but they heard a voice. You know what that tells us? What that did is that exalted God's Word to them. Right? His Word was exalted, not His form. Now you think of all the things we saw there, all the animals and beasts and even the sun and the moon and the stars that mankind venerates as, as objects of devotion. All of these are things from God's material creation, things that He has created, not the Creator. Even the heavenly bodies with sun, moon, and stars, people have worshipped thousands of years, thousands of years. I, I don't know about you, but I take great pleasure and going out and looking at the sun and the, the moon and the star. I don't look at the sun directly, but the moon and the stars. Do you do that sometimes? If you don't, you ought to take some time out away from your TV, away from your cell phone or whatever. Go outside and stand in awe of what God made. That will turn your eyes and heart upon the greatness of the Creator. It's it's fantastic. If you've never been, if you've never been to a place away from light pollution. You ought, to, you ought to note it next time you go somewhere. By the way, don't forget, in 2024, the total eclipse is coming uh, across the uh, Kentucky, the central, central part of the United States, just to, in case you're interested. But you ought, to, you ought to go somewhere far away from everything and where they don't have a lot of light pollution and look at the stars then. It will not prompt you to worship except worshiping the creator of it. Look at Romans chapter 1, if you would. I told you I wanted to give you New Testament, the relationship of these commandments to the New Testament Christians, so that's what we're going to do. Verse number 21 of Romans chapter 1. 
Romans 1, verse 21, the Bible says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Notice, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see that? They changed the glory of God into an image. You know, there's a in the heart of man... There is a basic desire in the wicked heart of man to rid God of his, what we call his transcendence. That means that God exists outside of creation. That's what transcendence means. It's it's not a fancy word. It just means God exists outside of his creation. The wicked heart of man wants to rid God of that and bring God down to something that is common, something over which man has power. Think of these animals and trees and and those kinds of things. And to remake God, it says to change the glory of the uncorruptible God, to remake God into man's image or into the image or into the likeness of something over which man has power. Because you remember, when God is remade in this way, and you know, we know you can't remake God, but when, when a false God is created, this God, this, the God of this kind of nature, has no real power or rule over man. That's what it's really about. Man then rules himself. When you make a God that is, when you make a God that you have created, you are the ultimate ruler. You see that? You make all the rules. He doesn't judge you. You made him. He doesn't tell you what to do. You made him. You see, man becomes God. Man becomes Lord. He is the Lord of Himself. Furthermore, there is a basic desire in addition to that, there's a basic desire in man to corrupt God. Man, having a conscience, knows that he is, and I say man very generally, but I'm saying even if this is not consciously recognized, it is in the heart of men and women. We know that we are, we know that we're, we're faulty people and we're messed up and we have sin. We know that. Like, even people that aren't believers know that. That's something that's with a conscience. That's something we know. And so sometimes we try to reinvent God so that He is faulty like we are. Bring Him down to us. And again, that's to rid Him of His supremacy over us. How can He tell us what to do? He's He's just like us. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What you're going to see as we move on, you're going to see that idolatry is closely associated with sexual immorality in Scripture. There's a close linkage between the two. Listen to this. Numbers 25 verse 1 says this, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. You think, well, that's bad enough. Right? They were committing this kind of uncleanness and immorality with these daughters of Moab. That's bad enough. 
And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. They're together. Those sins are together. Look, look, if you would, at verse number 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator? Now we see this. Now we know in this context, in Romans 1, it's talking about actual idolatry, right? We've, got, we've already got changing the glory of God into an image. That's what we just read in verse 23, right? So when it says they worship the creature more than the Creator, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about worship a thing, worshiping a thing that God created and not God. But how have we seen this same verse manifested around us? Radical environmentalism that personifies the environment as if the environment is a person worthy of veneration. And to some degree or another. Now, I, I agree. As stewards, we should take care of the environment, that is, that which God has created, and be wise with it. After all, we live here, right? We live here. <laughs> That's just being a wise steward. But, but to some degree or another, modern, evolutionary, secular religion. They say, oh, we don't have religion. Oh, yes, they do. And part of their veneration is the environment. It is absolutely religious devotion. Nothing short. To the point that the environment itself is almost kind of like a God. And if you follow the parallels, that there is, there is truth in what I'm saying. So they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And totally don't acknowledge the God who made it. Think of how much time. Listen, you talk about devotion and money, you know, giving offerings, going out visiting, visiting the sick, you being involved in your church. How much time, how much money do you spend at your church serving your God? How do you do that? They get on boats. Listen, they get on boats and go out into the middle of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, for months on end, spend untold thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. You're telling me that's not religious devotion? <laughs> it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And they proselytize and they evangelize. All the while, utterly detesting the Creator. So even though this passage is talking about idolatry, like what we think of as regular idolatry, it has connections to what we see around us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I won't spend a lot of time here just for time's sake, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number verse number uh, 14 says this, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. That's good advice. Won't be the last time we hear it, but look down at verse number um, 18. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then? 
that the idol is anything or that, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now, this might sound a little bit confusing to our ears because we don't live in a society that is, that is involved in outward idolatry. Oh, there's idolatry everywhere. You just, just rest your little heart, but not this kind of idolatry anyway. What they do is they, it is a common thing in, 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 where, where in places where they have idolatry to bring food Offerings in Cambodia, one that was very common among the Chinese people, the Chinese ethnic Chinese people, was a roasted pig. Oftentimes, it would be fruit or different kinds of uh, baked goods and stuff like that. They would bring it and they would lay it out to worship. Well, that's what's happening here. This is it's been going on a long time. You know, and you know, you, you they see it sitting there. It sits there for a while, and then the thoughts come to somebody's head. Well. If it just sits there, it's kind of good a waste. So they have a meal with that food that has been offered. You see? Eating food that has been sacrificed to an idol. That's what's being spoken of here. Now, the, as a believer in Christ, we know that idol is nothing. It's not God, no matter what people think. It's just a piece of wood or stone or whatever. So you could eat that food all day long, and it's, it's not like you're, you're sinning against God. It's not like because that's associated with the idol. It's, the idol is just a piece of wood. We know that. But verse 20, here's the problem. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You see, we know that idol is nothing, but it's offered to the devil. You say, well, they don't think it's offered to the devil. Makes no difference. You know what the devil does? The devil parades around in masks. He puts on a mask of someone's ancestors. He puts on a mask of one of this, this God or that God. And it looks like, a, it looks like our object of worship. Men worship that. Oh, my ancestors. I, and, and they venerate and honor their ancestors, but it's really the devil in a mask. And they bow and they offer things to false gods, and it's really the devil in a mask. And you know what the devil's doing? His ego is being boosted as people bow before him thinking it's someone else, but it's really the devil. That's what this verse is saying. They are offering it to idols, but it's really the devil. And this is a truth that goes back to Deuteronomy. The devil merely dons a mask to get people to bow to him. Is that not what he wanted from the very beginning? Right? That's what he wanted from the very beginning. He wanted people to venerate and worship him. He said, I will be like the Most High. That's what he's doing now. And that's what idolatry is all about. It is tied to to sexual immorality, and it's tied to, to, to Satan. It's not just something they do in their culture. It is actually satanic. They might not know that, but it is. God tells us it is. Lastly, go to Colossians chapter 3. You thought you were going to be here a long time tonight. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, there's, the, there's America right there. We don't have idols and statues of Confucius or our ancestors or anything like that around here very often, but we have plenty of this. How is covetousness like idolatry? Covetousness is similar to idolatry in that it takes something, now, now please try to understand what I'm saying, Covetousness takes something that is legitimate and good, like money, right? Money. That money's not itself bad. It takes something that is legitimate and good and exalts it to a place of service, adoration, and devotion to us. Now, is money bad? Money itself is not bad. In other words, like having dollars is not a sin. It's not bad. But how easily is that exalted to a place where we serve and worship it? That's covetousness. Like we, it, we give ourselves to it like someone gives themselves to God. In the same way, now this is how it's similar. In the same way that a, a craftsman We'll take a piece of wood or stone or gold or whatever, and all of those things have good use, right? They're useful. Wood has use, stone has use, gold and silver have use. So those are legitimate and good things, but he takes them and he makes it into something that he worships. So he takes something that is good and right that God made and he makes it into an abomination. He makes it into an object of worship. That's the same thing people do with money and wealth and riches and, and possessions. That's why covetousness is idolatry. You take something good God has given you, something good God has made that He has provided, and you exalt it to a place where you serve it. You venerate it. You worship it. You devote yourself to it. It is the object of your devotion. Thus, possessions are turned into something evil, an idol. You know what? I can't sit here and tell you, well, if you do this, then your money has become an idol. It, the Bible doesn't give a clear delineation of where that starts and where that stops. So he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, right? Keep it where it's supposed to be. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Both are mutually exclusive. In the same way that God will not stand with an idol, so he will not compete with money. We could look at Ephesians 5, verse 5. We could look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. You know what that 1 Corinthians 5 says? 1 Corinthians 5 says, if there's someone in your church that, ha, that, is has, that is a covetous man or an idolater, both of them are used side by side. He says, you, we as believers are not supposed to eat with them. They are supposed to be disfellowshipped, put out of the church. You say, what well, that, that means, so when you look at the New Testament, idolatry is not a big, it's not something that's really 
common. Like you see in the Old Testament, it's everywhere. Israel's always falling into idolatry. That's not something you see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, he says, you got a man who's an idolater? Put him out. If he says he's a believer, put him out. That's what it says. It's that serious. It's not to be tolerated in the church of God. But the same is true of covetousness. That's what the Bible says. But I ask you this, how many other things in our lives might fit this definition of idolatry? Something that is good, that even God has given us and provided to us, that has been exalted to a place of devotion, to a place where we venerate it and serve it. Many things could fit that. And you know what? It's, for, it's, up for each one of us, it's up to each one of us to discern that in our own lives. Because 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Pay attention to yourself. Don't let the good things God has given you become the thing that you venerate, the thing that you serve, the thing that somehow competes with the Lord. So he says, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray.